We're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 38. And we're just going to kind of camp out there a little bit. So if you have your Bible and want to open up to that. You know, when Jesus received word that Lazarus was sick, um, he didn't drop everything and and, and run to, to heal him. But rather, he took time to implement uh, a plan so that unbelievers would believe and that doubters would doubt no more. To remove doubt, taking away their doubt. You see, this is an interesting picture of Jesus. An interesting picture of Jesus because someone who doesn't immediately pluck us out of our situations... We don't like that. We want somebody who's going to pluck us out of that that bad situation and and put us in a good situation. But what we see is we see Jesus is one that doesn't do that. He's bringing around maximum glory to God. And he wants that to happen. And in order for that to happen, God is going to bring glory out of Lazarus dying. See, even among us, I would say there are some that doubt the power of God. Some don't believe in the healing power of God. That God is able to heal. These are the type of people that Jesus knew were standing around the tomb. These are the type of people that that Jesus wanted to show. He wanted to show the world that no one has power like God has power. You see it in your life and I see it in mine. We know the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. Because I know what I used to be. And I'm not that man anymore. And I see the resurrecting power of God in my life, and I see it in your life. See, no no one has power like God's power. And no matter how much evidence he gave, Jesus understood that Lazarus' healing had to be supernatural so that no one could deny the power that they were witnessing. And we too must take away any doubt. See, Jesus once, was, once more was deeply moved when he came to the tomb. He was moved when he saw Mary weeping. He was moved when he came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid in front of it in the entrance. And according to the burial customs of that day, they may take a long sheet and, and wrap the body in it and tie it at the feet and tie the arms to the side of the body. And then they would cover the face with a, a separate linen cloth. You know, Jesus orders that the stone be taken away. (laughs) Much to the distress of Martha, we're going to read here in just a moment. Much to the distress of Martha, who can imagine that the smell would be getting pretty strong. I mean, he's been dead for four days. But again, Jesus reminds them that they need to believe. Even when they know what's going to happen, there's space to believe in the greater reality 
of God's intervention in our world. See, God invades our world. He takes care of things. He, he comes in when we least expect it. Jesus prays a prayer for the benefit of those who are hearing. So they'll believe that it's God who has sent him. That it's God by whose power he's about to do this incredible thing. And then it's done. Then it happens. Jesus calls, and when Jesus calls, Lazarus comes forth. He's alive, and he's well. Look in verse 38. Chapter, John chapter 11, verse 38, it says, So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Notice Jesus said, remove the stone. Remove the stone. You see, the stone was the one thing that stood between Jesus and Lazarus. And the Lord wanted it removed. And I believe that that stone represents any obstacle that stands in the way of him. I mean, that stone re represents a hindrance. Something that keeps us apart. I want to give you four action words this morning. And the first one is remove. Jesus says to remove the stone. Notice that he didn't say destroy the stone. He said remove the stone. You see, we're not just dealing with sin issues here. But I want to ask you the question, are there some things in your life that need to be removed from where they are right now so that you can be closer to Jesus? In order for Lazarus to be closer to Jesus, the stone had to be removed. It had to be pushed aside. And there may be things in your life and mine that need to be pushed aside in order for us to be closer to Jesus. It might be a relationship. It might be a job. It might be a hobby. It might be your schedule. You know, sometimes our problems really do stink. And they've been problems for a long time. They've festered, they've grown, they've gone rancid. And they really just suck the life right out of us. But let me caution you, there may be people who are close to you who have some objections and maybe even some strong opinions when you start removing stones. Because your relatives know how bad your situation is. And how much it stinks and how long you've been that way. But I want to say, don't let that stop you. When he says, remove the stone, remove the hindrance. See, Martha says, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. He's been dead for four days. She didn't want to move the stone. She was his brother. A relative. 
He's been dead for four days. If you move the stone, it's going to stink. And there may be people in your life and in mine that say, if you move the stone in your life, if you remove the hindrance between you and Jesus, that it's going to stink. Possibly for them. See, our problems seem too big for anybody to fix. But Jesus says, let me at them. Let me have your problems. Let me, let me have a go at them. And have faith that I can bring life out of death. Oh man. See this morning I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to remove any stones that may be standing in the way. Of you getting as close as you can to Jesus Christ. What is that stone that is keeping you back? See Martha is struggling with her faith. But Jesus... He says in verse 40, he said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you're afraid to move a stone, to remove a stone in your life, are you afraid to see the glory of God in your life? I desire the glory of God in my life. And I hope you do too, to see God at work, because that's what he wants to do. But it may be that the stone that we've put there keeps us away from him. Keeps us at a safe distance, if you will. But you see, Jesus already knew that he was acting in the, in the will of the Father. He was in complete control of this situation. And though they had just wept over Lazarus, Jesus is all composed now. Look at what he says. He says, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. They took the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. And once they removed the stone... Jesus went into action. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word of God, speak. Oh man, Word of God, speak. See, Jesus prayed to God in front of these people, and his prayer was clearly focused. So that they would understand, that the people would understand what God's will, what he wanted to do in this situation. Here is a key point. He wants people to see God in what he does. He wants other people to see God in what he does. Most of the time... In our selfish modes, we want people to see us in what we do. Rather than to see God in what we do. Jesus wants them to see God in what he does. So verse 43, it says, And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! 
Lazarus, come forth. And the second action word I want you to see here is respond. He calls Lazarus to come forth. And the dead man, he came out. The dead man came out. He's been laying there in this tomb. He's been dead for four days. And now he calls his name and he comes forth. Wow. Man. That just is something that you just, it's hard to believe. They know that he's dead. They put him in there. They sealed the tomb. And now he's coming forth. But notice, it wasn't enough just to hear from Jesus. Obedience needed to take place. I mean, look closely at this verse. Because Lazarus was commanded to do something that no one has ever been commanded to do before. To come back from the dead. Lazarus was commanded by the Lord to do something that didn't make a whole lot of sense. See, we have to respond. We have to remove those hindrances and then we have to respond. I mean, do you find yourself being commanded to do something that doesn't really make sense to to you or to the people around you? This is important. Because when God speaks to us, many times it doesn't make sense to those closest to us. Martha said, Lord, it's going to stink. Don't take the stone away. This was her brother whom she loved very much. And she very much wanted life for him. But you see, Lazarus had to respond. When the Lord of all the universe calls, you must respond. You must respond. I mean, think about this. Maybe God is putting something on your heart. Maybe a, a new direction in your life. Maybe God is saying, I, I want you to go this way now. And it doesn't make sense to the people around you. And you don't know w- what they're saying. They're saying, why would you do that? I don't know. God is leading me in that. Maybe it's a new ministry. Maybe God is is putting a new ministry on your heart that that He's wanting you to to launch out into. But whatever it is that He's desiring, you know, it may be something in your personal life. It it may be witnessing. It may be spiritual disciplines. But what it is, is, is what happens is we must respond when the Lord of the universe calls to us. We must respond. Listen, whatever that command may be in your life, obey the Lord and let Him deal with the consequences. Obey Him. See, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and the the power of God focused on that single, stinking situation. And life came from death. But listen, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you feel... Like, your problems are too heavy to bear. Or maybe you feel like your problems are too heavy to share. 
Nobody else is interested in my problems. You feel weighed down. You feel like maybe there's some horrible things going on in life. You feel like your life stinks. Some of you, maybe you've had problems a whole lot longer than just a few days. Maybe your problem, your stinking problem, has gone on for years. Things never got fixed when you came to the Lord. The reason I say that is because sometimes we we pray and it doesn't seem like our problems get fixed. You may feel overwhelmed every day. You pray that the Lord would take it away, that He would do something about it. And He didn't fix them. Maybe He's waiting for you to remove the stone. Maybe He's waiting for you to respond. But no matter what our stinking problem is, we have to get up and get again, get, get going again anyway. I mean, Jesus doesn't deny that we have problems. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. See, he admits that they are stinking rotten sometimes, these problems of ours. And no matter what they are or how bad they stink, you need to let Jesus have a go at them. You need to allow Christ to come in and redeem whatever that rotten situation is. You need to give him that. Because Jesus is waiting on the right time to come and fix them, just as he waited in Lazarus's day. He's waiting for the best time to bring glory and honor to God in all of it. He's waiting for your heart to be right in that. To be ready for the miracle that He wants to give you. And somewhere, you stopped waiting on Him. Somewhere, you stopped praying about it. That problem in your life. That thing that just keeps gnawing at you and keeps festering. It's beginning to stink and You realize I can't do anything about it, so you move on. You probably figured you'd be stuck with it forever. So if you still have that problem today, the only difference is you're not looking to get it fixed anymore. You're just living with that corruption, that stuff in your life. But maybe, just maybe, today is day four in your life. The day when Jesus responds and reacts to the situation. The day where Jesus makes it right. How will you respond when it's God's timing to fix it? So we have to remove the stone We have to respond when He calls. The third action word is to release. Look at verse 44. He called out and He said, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. (laughs) Lazarus was a dead man. And he came out. 
His hands and feet were, were tied with strips of linen, the cloth around his face. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. See, a great miracle had occurred. This is phenomenal. The man was raised. He was raised to life, but he was not completely free. I mean, traditional thinking would lead us to believe that Jesus was speaking to those who were around the tomb to loose Lazarus of his clothes. But with his omnipotent, all-powerful voice, Jesus could have been speaking directly to the grave clothes. That's the kind of power that our God has. Because my God can speak to things without life and even those things obey Him. I mean, when, when, when Satan was tempting Jesus, he said, command these stones to be made into bread, to be turned into bread. Because he knew that he could do it. Satan does not doubt his power. I mean, my God, he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. <laughs> Jesus spoke peace to the raging sea and it had to behave. And if we don't praise Him, the rocks will cry out. He can speak to inanimate objects and they obey Him. He can speak to us and we can obey Him. See, look closely at this picture. Because here is a living man still clothed in the garments of death. And he was wrapped up in his grave clothes. But folks, there are many people, even in the church, who've been made alive by the grace of Jesus Christ, but are continuing to wear their grave clothes. I mean, grave clothes are not necessarily... <laughs> what I'm wearing, or what you're wearing. It may be a state of being. It may be a state of mind. I mean, grave clothes represent the things that we used to do when we were spiritually dead. Before we were born again. Before we were brought to life. Those things that, you know, that, that we used to do. The grave clothes represent addictions and, and worldly things that we hold on to. Those things we desire. God, grave clothes represents the things in your past that you keep holding on to. As we look around, we see some grave clothes. Grave clothes represent our limited beliefs in what God can do in our lives. Sometimes the grave clothes has to do with living in our own power. We need to be stripped of our own power in order to let God's power come and work through us. See, we get comfortable in our grave clothes and we don't want to take them off and maybe think, we think we're trying to hide something from somebody. But the Bible says there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. In fact, some people are in such a state that unless you outright ask them, you might think they're still dead. I mean, 
That was the case with the church at Corinth. They had been redeemed. They started meeting together as Christians. They were saints, but they were still wearing their old sinful grave clothes. Because We know that because there was divisions in the church. We know that because they were carnal. We know that because they, there was fornication and indifference to fornication. We know in chapter 11 there was heresies and the abuse of the Lord's Supper. See, what we need to understand, people, is that people will judge you by what they see in you. Jesus wanted them to see God in what he did. People look at us and they say, they're still wearing their grave clothes. Those things they used to do. They're not acting like redeemed folks. They're still slandering people. They're still talking about them. They're still doing this. They're still doing that. They're wearing their grave clothes. Whether we like it or not, that's the standard we have. Now when Lazarus came forth, I'll bet someone there probably said, he must still be dead. He's wearing his grave clothes. Look at him, he's still got his grave clothes on. He must be dead. And to this Jesus would reply, unbind him and let him go. Let him be free. See, he was a live man walking, but he was bound hand and foot. I mean, think about that. I imagine Lazarus shuffling along like this because his legs were tied together. His arms were tied together. He couldn't walk because he was all bound up. And he's probably shuffling, shuffling along. And, and I just imagine that, you know, it seems to me that there are a lot of people, especially Christians, who are still bound by their grave clothes. And I say that because they can move in one direction, but they can't budge an inch and be flexible to move in any other direction. They must be bound by their grave clothes. I can't think it, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if we can't move, if we can't be flexible, if we can't do some things for the kingdom of God, then we must still have our grave clothes on. I mean, look here, this, this miracle took place. But Lazarus was still quite limited. Many of us have great experiences with the Lord. Where the Lord has done great things in our lives. But today we're limited by the things that we're all wrapped up with. And so I ask you, what are you wrapped up with today? What is it that has you bound up? What is it that is keeping you from moving freely? Is it sin? Is it intimidation? Is it bitterness? Is it others' opinions? Does the enemy have you gripped with worry and fear? Or is it just plain busyness? Can you imagine? When Jesus says, let him go, unbind him. And Lazarus stood there and said, I'm too busy right now, Lord. Hang on, I'll get back to you on that. I'm too busy right now. I mean, allow the Lord to release you today from anything 
that is limiting you. And folks, there are times when we need to, when we need assistance, and there's other times when we need to give assistance. But it goes both ways all the time. I mean, the grave clothes were left on so that the disciples and those that were there might enter into the fellowship with Christ. Think about this. They could say, yeah, I was there. I was there when our Lord raised Lazarus from the dead. He called him forth from the tomb. And I was there and I helped unbind him. I helped undo the, bond, the bonds that, that, that held him. I mean, when you help somebody and you're there for them, it gives you a vested interest in that person's life. We talk about service. But we don't have time to serve others. Because we're so consumed with ourselves. Because it's all about me. I mean, we do many great things for people who seem ungrateful and, and maybe even forgetful. But what we don't understand is that Jesus may not be sending us to help others for their benefit. He may be sending us to help others for our benefit. Amen. We may need that in our discipleship. We may need that. We, need, we may need that opportunity to serve others. Because otherwise we make it all about ourselves. See, the Lord binds the stronger to the weaker in love, permitting the stronger to help the weaker. And we walk together. And that's how it works. I mean, two, real quickly, two reasons why brothers and sisters in Christ should help those and help unbind those who are bound up in, in the things of this world in their grave clothes. We ought to be quick to run and help somebody that is bound by that. The reason, number one, is because the Lord commands it. He says, unbind him. Let him go free. But also, each one of us has already been there. We've been set free. And it wasn't us that undid the bounds. It was somebody else that untied us from those binds. Those, 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 those bounds that, that kept us tied up. You see, it's somebody else that freed us. And so we ought to be willing and able to go do that. See, selfishness and pride are arrogant sins and God hates them. He hates them. So Jesus performed this mighty miracle in raising Lazarus from the dead. But think about this. Jesus didn't take the stone away from the tomb. Nor did he remove the grave clothes. When his resurrected friend came out of the tomb, J. Boyd Nicholson, he commented, he said, standing before the grave of Lazarus, whose body was corrupting, the Lord demanded something of those who longed for a miracle. They could have said, Lord, if you're going to go ahead and bring him back from the dead, why don't you just think about it or say the word and move the stone yourself? But here's a great principle. If you're going to write something down, you need to write this down. The Lord will not use a miracle to do what we are commanded to do by our obedience. Yeah, he could have spoke and then the rock would have rolled out of the way. But he commanded them to remove the stone. 
he could have said the word and the grave clothes could have fallen off of him and, and all of that, but he told them, he commanded them to go and unbind him. God's not going to do by a miracle what he wants us to do by obedience, what he has commanded us to do. And I think that's huge because maybe he's waiting for us to be obedient in order for the miracle to happen. It's obedience, then blessings. That's how it works. So is there a stone that he wants you to roll away? Is there some hard, unyielding attitude? The hardness of your heart? Is there someone you will not forgive? Is there, is there some unconfessed sin? Is there some step of obedience that he's waiting for you to take? In order for you to see the miracle. Lastly, I want to say this. The fourth word is reveal. Verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to Mary and they saw what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So what's the result? Many of the Jews who were there believed in Jesus. He said that it was going to be for God's glory. I love this. I mean, how could you not believe? Here's a man that's been dead four days. Jesus appears, and now he's up walking around. I believe in Jesus. Yes. Yes, I, I, I will follow him. Who but Almighty God could do such a thing? Any doubts they may have had about who Jesus claimed to be? Blown away. But looking back at this account, we discover that the things that Jesus said at the beginning of chapter 11 happened. What he said was true. He said, it's not going to end in death for your brother. It's going to end in the glory of God. This is for God's glory that this happened. That's exactly what he said. Your brother will live again. She said, yeah, I know he'll live again in the last day. He said, no, your brother will live again because I am the resurrection and the life. The things that Jesus said happened. And of course, there will always be those who won't believe no matter what. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. See, the animosity of Jewish leaders toward Jesus had been increasing all the way. The day that Jesus stepped foot on this planet, they were out to get him. But he knew that he came to die for humanity's sin, and this was part of the, the purpose. So when Jesus raised Lazarus, he knew what would happen. He knew this was going to put him at odds. The resurrection of Lazarus was the final thing that sealed the decree for the murder of Jesus. The Jewish leaders, they decided Jesus had to die. It didn't matter. Jesus knew the price that it was going to cost him for your sin and mine. And he was willing to pay that. I find it interesting to me that the religious leaders of this day, 
They decided to, to kill Jesus, but they also decided to kill Lazarus too. If you read over in chapter 12, verse 9 through 11, it says, you know, we got to get rid of Jesus, but we need to get rid of Lazarus too. See, we live, when we live as, as children of God, Satan's not happy. And he did everything in his power to derail me this week. To keep me from delivering this message to you. Because the enemy does not want you unbound. He does not want you set free. He does not want you to be released. He does not want you to reveal who Jesus is. But when we live as children of God, we're going to upset the enemy. And he's going to do everything in his power to make it hard for us, to discourage us, to try and cause us to quit. But when we look at the obedience of Jesus Christ going to the cross, knowing that he count the cost, but he also paid the price. And that's something that we can follow every single day. 